And, uh, and then uh, they've got the order, so they know which order you're going in, right? That's good. All right. And uh, get your Bibles out. Don't worry about Go ahead and encourage them with an amen. And if it's the truth, go ahead and encourage that. If it's heresy, go ahead and ignore that. Uh, no. <laughs> no, you'll be blessed through the reading of God's word, the preaching of his word tonight. And uh, if you're visiting with us again, uh, this is a little different than a normal service. Um, but we trust you open your hearts to the, the word of God tonight. Let's have a word of prayer for these young men. Father, Lord, we do thank you uh, for your word. Lord, we're thankful how powerful it is. And Lord, no matter, really, it doesn't matter how old you are. Uh, we always want the word of God to do the work, the Holy Spirit of God to convict hearts. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would do your work amongst your people this evening. Lord, that these young men would hide themselves behind the cross. Lord, that they would not uh, be out here in performance or uh, for vain glory, uh, but they would be out here to deliver your word as you've spoken to them. Uh, may you speak to us. And Lord, I thank you for the young people of this church who are uh, definitely on a path where they want to please you, and I'm so thankful for that. May they always keep you as the center of their lives, make you the priority of their futures. And uh, Lord, we do thank you for all that you've done so far tonight, how you've ministered to us through song and uh, through music, and then also now, Lord, as we open the word of God, may you bless the preaching of your word tonight, convict and change our lives, Lord. May we leave differently than we came. In Jesus' name we ask it. Please turn your Bibles to Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. <clears throat> Try. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. This is one of my favorite passages. Even though we pray often, we can still learn from it. And today, I hope we do. Our first point is trust God. Because in Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We need to trust God, and though it's easier to say we can't, we trust God. And we should do. That's something I really want to use as my first point. I feel it's very important in any Christian's life. 2 Samuel 22.3. And Bible says 2 Samuel 22.3. God of my rock in whom I will trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. David's speaking here, and he just lost the battle against the Philistines. And in later passages, he's telling God, he's reestablishing his God, his relationship with God. And it tells us in 2 Samuel 22.3 that one of the greatest ways we trust is to ask God to come into our hearts and save us. He's done so much for us, and even though he's done so much for us, he still cares for the littlest things. He still cares for you, and he still cares for me. My second point is acknowledge God. We should acknowledge God as number one in our lives before we do anything else. Psalms 51, 3 through 4. Your Bible says Psalms 51, 3 through 4. acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be approved when thou judgest it's one of the most important steps in our Christian life to acknowledge God because if we can't acknowledge what God has for us we're not going to get anywhere in our Christian lives when we let God lead we're so much better off my third and final point submit to God. Many people get acknowledged and submit mixed up, but they're very different. Acknowledge means to recognize as real, whereas submit means to yield or give to another. So by submitting to God, we're saying we're going to give him our whole lives. We're not going to hold anything back. You're in control now. Let's turn your Bibles to Philippians 1, 21 through 22. to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I what not. This verse is basically saying that we're better off just dying in our spirit than we are living in our flesh. Because if we live in our flesh, 
It's not going to help us anywhere. It's not going to get us anywhere. But if we live in the Spirit, it's going to help us not only now, but it's going to help us in eternity when we get to heaven. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. My youth pastor once said that one of the worst things we can do in our Christian lives is read the Bible. We need to study it. So if we study our Bibles, it's going to help us. It's going to help us get closer to God, and it's going to help us in eternity as well as right now. But if we just read it, it's like we're reading a book. A book could help us now, but it's not going to help us in reading this evening. It's important that we study and we grow in our Christian lives. It's like a plant. If, all, if we don't water a plant, if we don't feed a plant, and we don't wait for it to grow, we're not going to see the results that we want. What happens to a plant if you don't take care of it? It dies, and it gets filled with it. That's what happens to us when we don't take care of ourselves in our Christian lives. We get so shriveled up and small that we're nothing in our Christian lives. We need to grow in our Christian lives and let God lead. Now that we've gone over some of the things that we need to do in our Christian lives, here's how we can apply them. Trusting God. We have to trust God, and we can apply it by putting our trust fully in God and practicing it daily. We need to acknowledge God. When God speaks to us, We need to acknowledge what he's speaking to us about and not ignore it, but submit to it. Proverbs 27, 12. Proverbs 27, 12, or 22, 3, whatever you prefer. Turn to either of them. 27, 12, or Proverbs 22, 3. It's up to you, your choice. Because it's the same exact verse written in the Bible twice. Is that a mistake? No, it is important because God put it in there twice. It says in Proverbs 27, 12, or Proverbs 22, 3, Here are some pages, that's all right. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Uh, One of my favorite verses ever, or verses ever, um, talks about a prudent man and a simple man. The prudent is going to hide himself. He's going to stay away from sin. The simple will pass on and be punished. Now, none of us want to be a simple person in our life, even though, theme though (laughs) do the simple well but um talking about a different thing all right you don't want to you want to be simple but you don't want to be a simple man anyway i'm going to tell you guys how to be a prudent man my first point is be circumspect the bible says in first peter 5 8 be sober be 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 vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour 
in the Webster's 1828, one of the first words that define prudent is circumspect. Circumspect means literally looking around on all sides, all viewpoints. Um, something that you have to be very circumspect in that I've learned is driving. I got this little card right here, which means I'm allowed to drive. And something that I have learned since I've gotten my driver's license is that you have to be very circumspect when you're driving. You can't just be looking forward. You have to check your back mirror, your side mirrors, out your side. You gotta look everywhere because people are crazy. <laughs> All right? But just like, just like driving, um, it's the same in the Christian life. We have to be circumspect. We have to constantly be uh, watching our surroundings, seeing what comes in. I mentioned 1 Peter 5, 8. The devil is a roaring lion. He's sneaking. And if we're not being circumspect and looking around, we will see the devil slowly sneak in. And we have to catch it before it can happen. My first point, be circumspect. My second point, beware crime. The Bible says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. God has a law. And just like in the world, if you break the law, it is a crime. When you break God's law, it is sinning. In order to be prudent, you must beware crime. You must beware that sin. Now, notice I didn't say don't do crime. I said beware it. Because if we didn't sin at all, we'd be perfect. We have to beware the sin. So that's where being circumspect really comes in. We have to say, I'm watching, I'm watching. Oh, there it is. There's the sin. Now, I'm going to beware it. Now, I'm going to beware that crime. Uh, good example, Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's what to say, you know, you're about to catch your tongue. Oh, <clears throat> yep, just going to say that. Be circumspect. Now, just going to leave that situation. Beware crime. Really simple example, but that goes in all forms of God's law and breaking it. That we have to be watching, being circumspect, but then be wearing the crime. My third and final point is become Christ-like. And it really is uh, good how I made these points because it just all builds up. Because if you are circumspect and you do beware crime, then you are going to be Christ-like. You don't have to, so that's why I said become Christ-like. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.21, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. God gave us Jesus' steps right here in the Bible. All we have to do is come to church, hear the Bible. We have to study the Bible, read the Bible. Then we will learn how Jesus walks so we can follow in his path. And that is how you will be prudent in your Christian life. Let me ask, are you living a simple life? Are you constantly seeing how you're getting punished and you don't know why? Maybe you should start applying some of these steps. Maybe you should start living more towards a prudent life. Maybe you need to be more circumspect. Maybe you need to get rid of some sin. Maybe you just haven't tried to be as Christ-like as you can. And we can all do better in one of these three, for sure, including myself. 
And uh, that's all I got tonight. Thank you guys. Hello, my name is Isaac Page, and I am from Community Baptist Temple, and I will be preaching a sermon I have entitled, Trying on God. Excuse me if I do some of the tendencies of a teenager with his voice cracking, or coughing, or sneezing, or I am dying up here, but God is good, and we're going to keep preaching. All right, please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 7.1. 2 Corinthians 7.1. All through the Corinthians, Paul speaks to the people of Corinthia about some very specific things. The things I would like to highlight is separation from the world and complete involvement in God and in the church. <coughs> it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, having, there, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is my first point, perfecting holiness. It says that we must perfect it in the fear of God. How do we perfect something? You have to practice it. You have to use it. You have to do it over and over. What is holiness? I cannot perfect something I don't know. If your goal in life is to draw a very realistic picture of a friend, you want to have. To, you can't just like look at them and then make a stick figure. That would not be what you're aiming for. Which you, you have to go through courses, classes, you have to learn how the shading works, you have to learn the different pencils and the tools to get that job done. To be holy, we must have the tools, which we already have, we just need to use it to be holy and perfect it. What is holiness? It is purity, integrity, and moral character, and freedom of sin. Which sounds a lot to me like sanctification. Sanctification is to be set aside for a set purpose. To be set aside for a set purpose. Please turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 2.13. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. It says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of truth. So God has already predestinated, has already thought this out, has already chosen us to be sanctified and to be holy. That is God's plan for our lives. And we must perfect that according to what the Bible says here. Something that we need to perfect in order to be holy is conversation. So please, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 1, 15-16. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. It says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. This leads me to my second point, perfecting conversation. Conversation can help hurt make or break a relationship. It can be used as a tool for God or it can be used as a tool for ultimately Satan. Conversation is at a neutral point until we choose to change it. It can help God. It can elevate God. We can reach the lost people with conversation. We can reach people that have never heard God with conversation. 
We can tear down a Christian's reputation. We can do all sorts of things with conversation. It just depends on how we alter it. It's right here. We can praise God and we can sing songs like we just heard. Or we can decrease him and we can say, why did God put this in my life? And we can be bitter at God. Conversation can also be inward conversation. The conversation which you have between your eyes, which no one sees. Your conversation must be holy. Why? Because it is written, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because he hath called you to be holy. Meaning that it's already been predestinated. God has already saw this through. It's already repeating what the other verses say. He's seen this and he's calling you to be holy. When it all boils down to it, this all leads to my third and final point, perfecting Christ. All the points prior to this were going to this. Why do we perfect holiness? Because God is holy. Meaning that we're doing this for God. There's no reason to be holy except for God. And so it should be something that because we love him, we should be holy. Please turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. While soul winning, I have encountered unsaved, lost people that don't know God, and I have encountered former church-going Christians that say, God isn't for me. He's just not for me. Some even say, I've tried him. He's not for me. He's not for me. A pastor once said that saying that, in most cases, and actually every case, never mind, every case, is like putting on a dress shirt backwards and trying to button it. I'm going to be sanctified. Let me just put that there. It's probably a top button mixed with a bottom button with my luck anyway. And it's, it's terrible. It's like a knotted mess in the back. And that is how we try to put on God, and it doesn't work. My youth pastor has said that God is not a good luck charm. He helps people that serve him. He does not just give out a million dollars at random. Like, he doesn't spin the big bingo wheel in heaven and says, who's going to be our lucky winner today? That is not God. God says, I see your faith. You will be rewarded for what you just did for me. Whether it's further on, whether it's right now, God knows what we need. And he will bless us if we legitimately serve him and mean it with an attitude of holiness. He was brutally tortured for us mentally, physically, and spiritually. We take him for granted so often, we don't take the time to put him on. I have a person that will help me with an example. Can you please come on the stage? We walk through life with our sin nature on us. It's a heavy burden to bear. And as we walk throughout our lives, we just pick up a sin here and there. Kind of looks decent to the world at some points, but you know, we're human. We picked up another sin. Okay, so I looked at that. I really wasn't supposed to. I mean, it's fine anyway. It was just a white lie. 
we travel through our lives with this sin on us, and we decide to find God and say, okay, I'm sorry, can you just, like, stuff him in there. Can you just stuff him in there somewhere? We put God over us too often in our speech, devotions, and in anything, really. In church, we put him in us, like, just hidden. We don't even use him. When we're at church, we kind of use him as a blanket, like, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. And that's basically it. Too many times we put God over us and not actually being used. We put we just put him in. He, there, there seems to be a problem that we rent God instead of owning him. We try him out for a little bit and then we give him back. Because we haven't actually experienced the peace that he gives because we put him on all wrong. We put him on with our list of idols instead of being the number one. Through preaching and teaching, I have heard the expression that the Christian life is not a bed of roses. From my experience, I have found it to be but a single rose. God has the gloves and will gladly hold it for you. But when we choose to hold our lives and to grip onto it tightly so that no one else can hold it, the thorns choke out the blessings God could be giving us. As such, we must be willing to leave the garden if God commands, and be watered somewhere else. But there'll always be a place that we can go, and we will grow. Don't try on God, own him, and let him own you. Okay, I would like to apologize for the time I am starting 10 minutes late already. You guys aren't supposed to be going home, so I'm sorry, but we're going to get right into this. The title of my message is When God is Near. And one of the biggest things in our Christian lives, in every Christian's life, is having God's power in our lives. But how do we get access to that power? And we're going to see that by getting near to God is how we get that power. We can't have something that's not in grasp, if that makes sense. So please take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4, verse 8. James 4, 8. It says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Simple. If we draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to us, and then we are near to God, right? But what does it exactly mean by draw nigh to God? So, first of all, I believe that means is we must be saved. And in 1 John, please turn there, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And I will begin reading. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we see the unsaved. That represents darkness, and then God is light, and in him is no darkness. So if we are unsaved, darkness, we cannot be part of God's light because there is no darkness in him. So first of all, we must be saved. Second, we must walk with God. And uh, please take your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And verse 8. 
Joshua 1. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So once we are saved, it then says we need to get into God's word and really meditate on, study his word, and get to know God and build a relationship with him. And once we've done that, moving on to verse 9 of chapter 1 of Joshua, we see a verse that commonly isn't really read. Everybody just stops at 8, but we're going to continue on in verse 9. It says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So after we're saved and we're walking with God, it says that we have nothing to fear because the Lord is with us. So when God is near, what is the result of that? We're going to see some of the things that happens when that, when God is near. So first of all, my first point is when God is near, he gives us courage. Please turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. Verse 45 through 47. We all know the story of David and Goliath, one of the first Bible stories we've all probably ever heard. And um, the Philistines and the Israelites were battling, and the Israelites were all scared to fight Goliath. So David goes to the camp, and then he says, I'll fight him. And so they meet in the valley, David and Goliath do. And then after Goliath says some mean things to him about him and his God, David responds like this in verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So we see when God is near, he gives us courage. Here's David, more than likely just a teenager, going up against this giant Goliath. That's, that's scary. And um, he, he recognized something that we often forget when we're facing a giant in our life, a trial. I don't know what it might be in your life, but David saw when you're facing your giant, it's not you facing your giant. It's the Lord's battle, and he says that. So no matter what your giant is, God is there to help you to defeat it. So it is not you, it's the Lord. So we see, that first of all, when God is near, he gives us courage. And second of all, when God is near, he gives us comfort. Please take your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. And starting in verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, them being Paul and Silas. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. So we see when God is near, he gives us comfort. Here's Paul and Silas in the prison. They're beaten. They, they were whipped. And now they're, they're, they're in stocks in a really tough situation. 
and all for the cause of Christ, yet they're still praying to him and singing praises to God. And I have a story I would like to read. It's called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to northeast India to spread the gospel. The region known as Assam was compromised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. Into these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of Welsh missionaries spreading the message of love, peace, and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One Welsh missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. This man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers began to accept Christianity. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man instantly composed a song which became famous down through the years. He sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man sang these words in reply, Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. In a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now, he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man sang the final memorable lines. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family, but with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man. He wondered, why should this man, his wife, and two children die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago? There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith. And I too want to taste that faith. In a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. When the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. We see when God is near, he gives us comfort. His family was shot dead and he washed it all for the cause of Christ. And yet he had peace. He was singing a song praising the Lord. And that leads me to my final point. When God is near, he puts a song in our heart. And back in Acts 16, in verse 25, it says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And when God is near to us, he does so much for us. He died on the cross for us so that we could be with him in heaven one day. And we should want to sing praises to him. When he's with us, we can't, we can't help but do it. So, does so much for us and one of my favorite songs you heard um, me and my sister sing it a few moments ago my God is near I would like to recite the chorus it goes like this when God is near all the world seems far away when God is near every fear is set aside when God is near how can I stray how can I falter I'll stay upon the altar I know my God is near what a great God we serve he does so much for us but I wonder today, how close are we to God? And how are we trying to get closer? And for the unsaved, 
I beg of you, please accept Christ as your Savior. You'll never regret it. He does so much, and we can't, we should serve him as, in return. And for the saved, how are you trying to get closer to him? Are you walking with the Lord? And that's all I have for you. Thank you. You think about all those thoughts there that we heard tonight, and we'll wrap this up as quickly as we can here. But uh, just a, an idea of trusting the Lord we heard first, how important it is that we trust the Lord. And, uh, and then being prudent. Why, why would I want to be prudent? And you, just come, you can ask questions about all these messages. Why would I want to trust the Lord? Why would I want to be prudent? Why would I want to be sanctified? Why would I want God to be near? And I want to draw your attention just back, just in your mind's eye, to what was quoted earlier from Psalms chapter 136. For his mercy endureth forever. Why? Why would I want to be close to God? Why would I want a relationship with God? Why would I want to sanctify myself unto God? Why would I want to foresee evil and hide myself? For his mercy endureth forever. Our God is so good. He is so good. And uh, we would do well just to remember his goodness. If we remembered how good God was more consistently, these other facets, trusting him, hiding ourselves from evil, sanctifying ourselves, they would be so much easier. We just don't remember how good he is. We take our attention off of him and put it on ourselves and our problems, don't we? Our, our eyes just shift so easily. And, uh, and so let's do, let's do well. Let's be challenged with these questions tonight. To Why do I, why do I want to trust God? Why do I want to be prudent? Why do I want to be sanctified? Why do I want God near for his mercy endureth forever? He's a great God. We serve a great God. And if you don't have a relationship with him, as was mentioned this evening, I encourage you. We all are sinners, but his mercy endureth forever. We all deserve hell, but his mercy endureth forever. It's an amazing thing that we can know, know, not hope, think, wonder. We can know that we are headed to heaven when we die because his mercy endureth forever. And if you haven't trusted Christ your Savior, I would encourage you to do so this evening. Uh, if you would, go ahead and stand with me tonight. We'll have a word of prayer. The point of preaching is to bring us to a point of decision. What will you do with the word of God as it was presented tonight? If the Lord spoke to your heart, we'll have a very brief time where you could come down and you could pray at the altar. Or if there's something, you would pray at your seat there. But talk to the Lord. And even if there's nothing else, thank him that his mercy endureth forever.